Thanks, Toby. Thanks, Liz. That was great. That was great, wasn't it? Have you ever had a moment like that? Not, not exactly like that, I mean, but perhaps you can think of a time when you know, a good friend was able to help you out. You know, maybe it, maybe it was an inconvenient time for them. Perhaps you've helped someone through provision of food, encouraging words, or just being there for them. Maybe you can remember a time where God has provided for you through answered prayer. Um, if I haven't met you, look, my name's Andrew. It's great uh, to see you here. Um, tonight, we're continuing with our series on parables. Parables, stories to live by. The parable that Jesus teaches in Luke 11, the friend at midnight, I pray that it will not only help us to live uh, being increasingly others-focused, to invite them to experience God's story, but also the importance of Jesus in our story. So Jesus starts the parable in verse 5. He says, suppose you have a friend, you go to him at midnight. So just stop there for a minute. Jesus says, suppose you. Suppose you. Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples, his followers. Every other parable that we've heard so far in this series, Jesus has used characters or things to illustrate a point. And he prompts our thoughts to consider where we might be in relation to that parable. If you can remember back when we heard about the wise and the foolish builders, yeah, who was there? Can we remember that one? Yeah. The wheat and the weeds, the sheep and the goats. Yet with this parable, Jesus doesn't muck around. He doesn't muck around. Yes, he uses characters to illustrate the point, but he invites the disciples to place themselves into the story, into the parable. Jesus is clear. Put yourself in this guy's shoes. Put yourself in Toby's shoes. What would you do in this situation? He wants his disciples to get this. He doesn't want them to miss it. His disciples are followers of him. We also are followers of Christ. So just as Jesus has invited the disciples to place themselves in the story, Jesus is inviting you to place yourself in the story. So suppose you have a friend. You go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. So a travelling friend rocks up unannounced late at night, an awkward time for sure, but it wouldn't have been unusual back in those times. See, people would often travel at night in order to avoid the heat of the day. Long-range communication was obviously very limited, so instances where people would turn up unannounced on people's, uh, people's doorsteps was, was common. And on this occasion, Jesus says to picture you your friend having turned up late at night, having no food to offer. Things in life happen, right? We get busy, we can get very busy, and sometimes we not, might not get everything done that we were hoping to. But being caught without any food to give your friend in need? Oh dear. This was a big deal back in those times, by the way, okay? Big embarrassment. 
what would people think? And with no 24-hour takeaway or supermarkets or anything like that, you needed someone to help you out. So Jesus asks you to picture you hurrying over to your friend's place, the friend you can rely upon, the friend who will understand your situation, the friend who would do anything for you. Surely, surely they can help you. Yes, rocking up at your friend's place at midnight asking for their food is awkward, but that's nothing in comparison with the awkwardness of not being able to offer hospitality to your traveller friend, let alone the impending ridicule and embarrassment from the community. What is the friend's response? Don't bother me. Well, sorry, too late. I already have. I already have. The door is locked. Yes, but now you're awake, you can come and unlock it. The family are in bed. Now, the whole house back then, that probably would have been perhaps the size of an average-sized room in today's house. It's pretty small. So it's likely the family would have been sleeping together in the same room. So getting up would have caused quite a disturbance. I can't get up and give you anything. We know the friend had three loaves of bread. We know that. If they didn't have any, they would have said so. Instead, it was effectively saying, please don't inconvenience me. Taking the bread that had been prepared for the family for the next day, the time and effort that would need to be exerted again to make and bake those loaves, this is really testing the friendship. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Picture yourself, of course you're going to keep on asking. You need to get that bread. You need it. You cannot let your travelling friend down. If you don't, you'll let them down, and people will know that you weren't able to provide for them. You need it. You've been turned down, but you cannot, and you will not take no for an answer. By this time, your friend is thinking, if I don't get up, and give my friend those loaves. I'm not going to get back to sleep. Family are going to get woken up anyway. The whole neighbourhood's going to get woken up. All right, all right, all right. God loves a cheerful giver, right? <laughs> but God, what are you saying here? God wants us to come to him with this shameless audacity in prayer. Audacity being confidence, boldness, Fearless, disregarding self and conventional thought. But there is also urgency. I also looked at the, the King James version of this passage, and it states because of importunity. It's an interesting word, I must admit. I hadn't heard of this word until I read it. Importunate means urgent or persistent in solicitation, i.e., seeking, sometimes to the point of being annoying. But this parable is so much more than just a friend seeking bread in the middle of the night. Being others-focused is a key element that Jesus was emphasising to his disciples. But there is a greater element to live by in your story that Jesus is getting at. 
In verse 9, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be opened. So Jesus says, So I say to you, so for this reason, therefore, Jesus was using this illustration, this parable, to make a contrast and to emphasize. Contrast and emphasize. The contrast is that the friend with the bread, this is not what God is like. All the other parables that we've heard so far describe what the kingdom of God is like, describe what God's character is like. Yet this parable also makes a contrast and shows us what God is not. God is not asleep. He is not someone who doesn't want to be troubled. He's not hiding. He cannot be inconvenienced. God is not annoyed when we come to him. And how do we come before God with our requests? In prayer. This is what Jesus was emphasizing. We read in the verses before this parable that Jesus himself was praying. Chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Note that the disciple didn't ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. He said, teach us to pray. Note the difference. The disciple was not seeking the method. He was seeking a greater way. They were not content with prayer as they knew it. They saw something different and something greater in Jesus and how he prayed. And they wanted to pray like him. That is why when we pray, like we did earlier tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. We believe and we know that his name, like we sung before, is a light that the shadows can't deny, cannot be overcome, is alive and forever lifted high, the name above every other name. Now, I'm not going to go into detail in relation to the Lord's Prayer tonight, which is in there, but... That's another topic in and of itself, but I would like to share with you four points that Jesus emphasizes through this parable. The first point is to pray with persistence. I've heard it asked before, why pray if God knows what we need, even if, we know, even if he even knows what we're going to say? So why pray? He wants to grow your faith. Faith is like a muscle. You need to exercise it in order to strengthen it so we don't become stagnant in our faith journey, in our story. He wants us to grow stronger in our faith. So why must we pray without ceasing, with shameless audacity, with persistence? Because we are in a spiritual battle. As the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Think about it. We are reminded that Satan, the enemy, the devil is the enemy. That also means that the enemy sees us as his enemy. You don't think he won't put up a fight? 
So don't hold back. Church, don't hold back. Don't give up. Don't give in. God has brought you this far. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. He never will. The enemy is defeated under your feet in Jesus' name. Yeah? Prayer is not your last resort. It is your very first step. Now is not the time for occasional timid prayers. Pray with boldness, pray with certainty, shameless audacity and persistence. Second point, pray also with confidence. Confidence that the resurrection of Jesus has enabled us to be reconciled to God. Jesus emphasises this in verse 2, that we can call our God Father, our Father in heaven. This was a big shift in thinking for the Jews at the time, who knew God as all-powerful, almighty, at times angry, but a Father, intimate, loving, understanding. We can have confidence, we can have confidence that he is a good, good Father. God doesn't answer our prayers because of anything good that we do. It's because he is good. Yeah. Perhaps you feel that you're not worthy enough to pray for, to God. Perhaps you're thinking you feel you fall short of the mark. Join the club. Um, or because you feel you can't pray as well, speak as well, as eloquently as others. Can I encourage you? Prayer is open to everybody. open to everyone we all have access to god the father through jesus through prayer we all have access in verse 10 for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds the one who knocks the door will be opened jesus makes a bold and confident statement he does not say seek and you occasionally will find He does not say, seek and the door will only open after you do this and this and this and this. He says it will. It will. So why hasn't God given me the things I've sought and asked for, the desires of my heart? Firstly, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He always answers our prayers, just the answer might be no. It might be not yet. It might be, I have something greater planned. Secondly, when your heart is aligned with his, the desires of your heart will be become aligned with the desires of God's heart. As our hearts become more aligned with Jesus, our hearts will yearn for the same things that the heart of God yearns for. Praying for what? Our will be done? No, his plan, his purpose, his will be done. God wants to work in you, every single one of you, work in you and through you as part of his greater story to bring his kingdom here. We have our part to play in that story. Bringing his kingdom to those around us. So be confident of the promises from the king. No word or promise from God will ever fail. You are his workmanship created in Christ to do his good works Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from his love, his promises of eternal life, his love for you is unfailing. God's capacity to forgive 
is bigger than our capacity to stuff things up. How good is he? Thirdly, pray in power. There is power in the name of Jesus, as we sung earlier. We have confidence in his name, and in his name there is all authority in power. Verse 11, Jesus says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's what Jesus has done for all humanity and has made available for us that enable us, us to pray in power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the enabling presence of Jesus Christ within you. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, as it says in the book of James. Is it powerful and effective because of their own power, their own righteousness? No, it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit within and through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Could God do any more? He can do immeasurably more. How much more will he do? You just need to ask. If we can give good gifts to our children, to our family and to our friends, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If the friend was willing to help by giving the bread, albeit reluctantly, how much more will God provide? If Jesus often prayed to his heavenly Father, how much more should we how much more then will unselfish, unceasing prayer to God for the good of others be answered? And this is the fourth emphasis Jesus makes, that we need to pray for others. Note that in the parable, Jesus asks his disciples to consider themselves seeking bread for their traveller friend not to consider themselves seeking for themselves. The heart of Jesus was fully aligned with the heart of God. Fully aligned with the heart of God, yearning for the same things that God is yearning for. Jesus' ministry was all about others. The others who are hurting, the others who are marginalised, others who are lonely, others who are lost. We live in a fragile and uncertain world, but God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Yes, the world is big. There are many problems. But start with prayer and praying for others. How much more then will unselfish, unceasing prayer to God for the good of others be answered? I see God move each week at our connect group. We meet weekly and we share our prayer, prayer and praise points. We pray together. And we actually get to see where God moves and where and when and how he provides. We can see him doing that. So just as Jesus asks his disciples to consider themselves in the parable, Jesus is inviting you to be a part of the story, his story. 
So are you prepared? Are you prepared to be inconvenienced? Prepared for the unexpected? Prepared for the extraordinary? Great stories in my experience are never convenient, expected, or ordinary. Neither does Jesus intend your story to be. The Holy Spirit is yearning to work in us and through us to not only reveal to us the boundless riches of his love, but to reach the people around us, to share with them the certain hope that we have. Jesus invites all of us, every one of us, to be a part of his story so that your story would be a part of the greater story, a story of love, redemption, reconciliation, purpose which has been playing out since the very beginning with Jesus at the centre of it all Jesus emphasises through this parable that just as bread provides physical sustenance to and nourishment for our physical bodies prayer is the sustenance we need in our spiritual lives Jesus prayed how much more than should we Jesus said in John chapter 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. The traveller turning up seeking food and shelter was unexpected. The friend turning up at midnight seeking bread for the friend was unexpected. There will be people in our life who will turn up, turn up on our doorstep, turn up in our lives seeking bread, seeking shelter, seeking wisdom, seeking company, seeking help. Will you be ready and willing to share the bread of life with those who turn up on your doorstep? Think back and remember, for those of you who know Jesus and travel on this spiritual journey, think back and remember to the times when you prayed and God answered. He is good where he provided his peace and joy through hard times all time words of encouragement I don't know about you but when I look back I think how good my God has been my hindsight says I can trust him with what's next God is known for faithfulness for those of you who may be journeying and exploring about who Jesus is and who he is to you. Um, I pray that this has encouraged you tonight. Maybe you have questions and I would encourage you to keep asking, keep seeking. If you can do it for me, you will certainly do it for you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Remember that prayer is not a one-way conversation. We need to listen and we need to follow him. Will you obey what he has given you? What he has revealed to you? Will you go through the door he has opened for you? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that through your son Jesus we can come to you in prayer in times of need not just for us, but for those around us. Thank you, God, that you are 
so big, so strong, so mighty. There is nothing you cannot do. God, I pray that you would give us moments and opportunities to share with others. God, I pray that you would give us those moments this week. May it not be awkward or weird, but God, may we trust you when you prompt us. Because we can trust you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that although your goodness is beyond our ability to comprehend, thank you that it's not beyond our ability to experience. May we not be afraid to knock on the door. For everything, every good thing comes from you, Lord. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name.